0: Welcome to the Kickstart Podcast, where we highlight the stories of how professionals kickstart and navigate their successful careers. My name is Preston, and on this episode, we have the pleasure of hosting someone who has had a very amazing career in engineering before he became the founder of Sibanto, that is developing cutting-edge technology to enable the future of agriculture. Craig, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Preston, for having me.
0: My pleasure. So I think a fitting way to get started is by asking me, for those that don't know who you are, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I have kind of an eclectic background. I uh, I grew up on a farm in Northwest Iowa. 1984, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to never set foot on a farm again. Uh, I thought I was cursed and I became an electrical engineer. And I spent the majority of my career in the wireless industry, primarily on cellular. Uh, you know, I worked for a lot of cellular companies, worked on a lot of uh, products in the, in the cellular industry, wireless for the most part. But I did do a stint at John Deere. Where I worked on their Starfire Receiver their, and their Green Star Display, two of the products that are uh, very important in their precision ag a portfolio and then uh, and then I started a company called 640 labs which was taking data from uh, farm machinery and and taking it up into the cloud so it really got me interested in Uh, in agriculture and specifically electronics and signal processing and wireless. And so, uh, you know, imagine I'm a guy with a lot of uh, electrical and software experience uh, that happens to uh, have a little bit of vague experience as well.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for that wonderful high-level overview. We'd love to talk to you and deep dive a little bit more about your current company. But one thing that sparked my curiosity is, Why did you start in electrical engineering way back when? What drew you to that field? Uh, So when I
1: was, when I was growing up on a farm, uh, again, this was pre, or this was, you know, pre eighties, I was obsessed with electricity and, uh, I just remember my father. You know, he had these tractors and he had these radios on these older tractors, and you know, invariably they would uh, break down, and he he would give them to me, and I would rip them apart trying to understand how they worked. And then, uh, believe it or not, I uh, there was a bookstore or a, pardon me a bike store and Radio Shack in the little town that I grew up near, and. Uh, you know, Radio Shack was the internet for me. You could buy books on electronics, on just the components, and they would sell them. They would have they would have these little projects you could build, and uh, you know, I think I owe my career to Radio Shack. Believe it or not,
0: I loved Radio Shack growing up myself as well. And then you, so you started your career in electrical engineering. It seemed like it was a very organic process. You had a lot of interest in that way back when growing up in in the farm, um, which is really, really cool. And then at some point in your career, you pivoted from electrical engineering to software engineering. So what inspired that pivot? How did it feel like learning? the whole new world of software engineering? And was it, did it take you a while to ramp up or was it kind of natural? You're using the same kind of brain that you did for electrical engineering. You applied that same muscle to software. What was that process like for you? Yeah, well,
1: for starters, this, what I call software, writing software, it was more along the lines of signal processing. So I, I was, uh, I, I guess you could say I was an expert in the wireless industry or in, in both hardware and um, signal processing software so the very specific type of software i would write would be more signal processing demodulation of wireless signals modulation of wireless signal channel encoding channel decoding so it was specifically around signal processing software that i that i did write
0: and in- how how was that um, different or how did you feel about that versus the your first job in electrical engineering did you When you joined electrical engineering, did you see or think at that time, this is my career for the long run? Or you somehow uh, developed into the world of signal processing and wireless. And like, wow, this is something that I'm now really passionate about. I can see myself doing this for a very long time. You
1: know, how, how do I say it? There's, there's... There's a fine line between doing hardware development and then doing signal processing um, software development. And it's almost writing. And I did a lot of assembly code as well. Back in the 90s, you know, this was before you used to write signal processing code on, you know, let's say demodulators or modems. Um, You used to write a lot of uh, assembly code to do these, uh, you know, the demodulators or or the channel encoders. And so there was, it wasn't a job giant leap for me to go from hardware world into the the software world, given the type of software world, you know, that I was writing. Now I do see, you know, you've got, you know, front end and back end and full stack developers. I'm, I mean, I have no idea as to what they're doing. So that that is not the I I mean, I understand the look, you know, the jargons and, and but, you know, it it is a million miles away from from those types of software engineers. I, I would write. You know more just signal processing. You know finite impulse response filters, but you know part of it was okay. How long does filter have to be? You know, can I do it? You know, in a fixed point implementation. Uh, you know, it was it was a lot of hardware and, and software development. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's the, the uh, when I look at signal processing software. God's been so long since I've talked about this. <laughs> I mean, it was it was both. Um, And it was kind of fun in that it was, you know, developing software, but there was a very, very, very mathematical part of it in terms of, you know, and I I go back to that, I I need a filter, what type of filter am I going to use? How is it going to affect my performance of my demodulator? And I I would spend a lot of time, you know, looking at just the the algorithm as to how it's going to be done, more so than actually implementing the
0: software. For the audience that's unfamiliar, what would you be? What is a demodulator like? What do they do? I'm just curious.
1: Oh well, uh, like in in cellular phones, mm-hmm. for example, this wireless signal is, you know, this signal is coming over the airwaves and, you know, through the antenna, through the uh, the front end filter into the LNA, and then it gets down converted, IF filtered, and then it, it you know, goes through uh, like an analog to digital converter. So you have this very noisy. Signal representation of the ideal signal that was transmitted. And what you need to do is you need to recover the actual signal, you know, the data bits were modulated. Now you need to demodulate and get back to the bits. And there's all sorts of clever, absolutely clever uh, things you can do to, um, you you know, the trick is to, you know, uh, decode and detect and estimate that signal as close as you can to the original
0: interesting wow yeah for someone who's completely unfamiliar with with the world of cellular wi-fi and how it breaks down from the waves out there to inside your phone and how it gets synthesized and absorbed and processed it's quite fascinating so how did you go from working in signal processing and wireless to then becoming a business or an entrepreneur what and and if if i'm taking a look and if i remember correctly aside from sabanta which is the company you are working on right now did you have you you referenced that you started a company before that how many other the companies that you found before I think Sabanto was the sixth company. Wow, company. that's amazing. So now you're you're not just a, an entrepreneur here. You're you're a serial entrepreneur, Craig. How yeah. was yes. <laughs> Um, I don't know how you feel about that that label, but yeah, um, you're a serious builder, uh, which is really exciting. What drew you to the first company, your first business? Like, do you remember, what, what did that business do? How did you feel? Uh, and what was the biggest lesson learned as a first time kind of business owner and entrepreneur that helped you become a better business owner with the subsequent com- companies followed?
1: You know, the first company I started was a company called Alliance Technologies Group. Mm-hmm. And we were no more than a consulting Guns for hire. You need engineering work. Uh, you come to us, and we do it. That was the first company I started in 1995. I was at Motorola, and we had gotten myself and uh, and a couple other guys had gotten really proficient at writing and at test and measurement and writing software and building hardware and whatnot. And the three of us. Um, had this crazy idea that we're going to go out and start our own company, a consulting company. And, you know, there was a lot of peer pressure and, and we, you know, I'll be the first one to say, we didn't know what we were doing. And, but the three of us went out and it worked out pretty well. You know, we, we, we went for about, uh, let me see, five, six, seven, we went about seven years doing that. And we grew, we were up to 20 people. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. Did I learn a lot? Absolutely. It was completely self funded. We didn't take uh, $1 from uh, an investor. And, and we, you know, so it's all organic growth. And we didn't have a product. We never had a product really. It was all contract work. And, yeah. you know, we had this vision when I started that company, we had this vision that we're, we're going to be a product company. We're going to start out with, and then we're going to find out, you know, the product. And then we're going to do that. But, And looking back, that was probably our biggest mistake because, you know, just that mindset, because when you're a a contracting company and you decide, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you want to do a product and the problem is These opportunities would come through the door, you know, at the time our engineers were getting, uh, you know, $125 an hour. It's really hard for a small company to turn down an opportunity because we're going to forego any any, uh, profits and whatnot and focus on uh, this product. Um, That's a really hard decision to make, and we just didn't have the discipline to make that. And so from beginning to end, that company was a consulting company, nothing more, nothing less.
0: So maybe the biggest takeaway there is just like stay in your lane, stick with what you're doing really, really well, and just continue doing that instead of diversifying or spreading yourself thin just for the sake of diversifying.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. when you it's, say product was that your first experience i'm assuming it's a software product is that correct um, or, or what product were you trying to build at oh, that we, time
1: you know, we, you know we, we started the company and we had thought to ourselves well we're going to fund it with a contract work and mm. then we're gonna find our niche, find something where we can become experts in and then we'll create a product. we we didn't have a plan for a product it was, it was just yep, we're gonna go. The three of us are gonna go out and start a company and it was funny we we were we were all working at Motorola and uh we were, we were sitting around and we we just decided if, if we get three months of contracts, we're gonna quit and oh my God, two weeks later, we're like, oh, we're gonna quit Monday. <laughs> So it was it was a lot of fun. Well, I I
0: I love uh, yes. I love it that we're talking about this because number one, you know, people are always fascinated. How do you start a business? Like, do you just cold turkey it, or like if you have a full time job, do you do it on the side? And it seemed like you and a couple of colleagues, buddies, and decide to lock arms with this vision, unified vision, and get started on the side. Yeah, uh, and it- then and it seemed like your timeline was a lot faster. It, it accelerated a lot more than originally anticipated. And you you just quickly had to ask that serious question like, what do we do now? Are we going to jump yeah. In, yeah. right <laughs> and then do it yeah, I mean, but yeah. you can't yeah, yeah. um uh, you can't Sorry. undersell yourself though craig i think the fact that you had a vision and then you executed. And then it's not like you lasted for six, 11 months. And you said those seven plus years, many businesses can't even get past the third year. So yeah. for your first business foray, I mean, that's that's a yeah. massive success in my book. So we don't have to talk about every other business afterward, but if you can maybe just share high levels, like what were some of the other businesses that you did afterward before Savanto?
1: So three of them left with an acquisition technically.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, you
1: know, one of them, uh, I mean, the, the, the most successful one, well, so far was... Uh, uh, Six forty Labs. Mm-hmm. That was, um, you know, you know, probably the most interesting one was. And this was kind of interesting. The business we started. It was. It was called Rough Riders Communications. It was out of out of Oklahoma. You know, oil rigs. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and they need communications. They need um, telephone service and uh, internet. Access right. So myself and a and a couple other guys, we went and uh, we bought a bunch of snowmobile trailers. We got a, a you know a foot a half meter satellite dishes, mounted them on it, got some modems. And some uh, Ethernet uh, switches and Wi-Fi routers, and and what we started doing is we started deploying data services in the Panhandle of Oklahoma. And at the time, we were sitting in Chicago, and we had a guy, you know, a couple guys working for us down in Oklahoma, and their job was everything: sales, support, deploying systems. And and that lasted for uh, three, four years. How, I mean, for someone th-
0: that's owned multiple businesses, how do you get, what do you get the inspiration from? I'm sure like even now, you can't help a part of your brain just always cranking out new ideas, right? So like h- yeah. h- what inspires you to generate new ideas and then what makes you internally determine, oh, this is actually a good idea and I should go for it for someone who's done like six businesses. I guess what inspires me to do it?
1: you know i guess i've been um, fortunate that i have the opportunity to do it mm. you know it's it's not as risky as you think it is like for example you know i had two kids and my wife was a full time you know she was taking to the kid, taking care of my kids full time and i you know, I'm sitting at Motorola and I'm going to leave Motorola perfectly great. It was a great job. I was making good money. I had insurance and, but then I'm like, I have three months of of work. So this is going to last at least three months. And, you know, it took us about two weeks to get three months worth of contracts. And at the time I'm like, okay, I can last three months. And I knew that, you know, talking with my boss before I left, or this guy I knew at Motorola, who's pretty pious and hey, I'm going to do this. And if I fail, will you hire me back? He said, absolutely, go knock yourself out. So I, I guess, you know, people think I'm, oh, you know, he's very, you know, he's a risk taker. I knew that regardless of where, what path I went down, I would always, I would always land on my feet.
0: Seemed like it. I mean, at the end of the day, to me, it looked like you were just, you were just hedging, right? So like, as a worst case plan B, if all else fails... You can get your original job back. I think that's awesome. I think for a lot of people, they think that if they made that jump, their their job wouldn't accept them back if they come running back, right? So I think it doesn't happen for everybody, but you create a situation for yourself where it just it just made sense to take the plunge. Yeah,
1: you know, like you say, you know, I'll, I'll give the example. You seem like a pretty smart guy. Appreciate and, it. <laughs> and if you run off and do some crazy <laughs> idea, trust me, you're gonna get a job. <laughs> you know. It, you will not have a problem getting another job. So, you know, nothing venture, nothing gain. And the other thing too, is you want to, I guess I look at 20 year memories where you know, 20 years from now, you want to look back and laugh and say, I can't believe I did that. That was wild. That was a lot of fun though.
0: I mean, so. I can't believe one of your business ideas were oil rigs. I guess it makes sense. Telecommunication to oil rigs. I don't even know how you stumbled into that world, but, and sorry for talking about this for a lot longer than expected, but it's, it's just rare for me to just talk to people that owned uh, and ran as many businesses as you. I think that's really inspirational. I think that's really, really well, uh, I, I resp- huge, huge tons of respect as, as I know a lot of work has gone into that. Two more personal questions. I'm just honestly personally curious. So the the subsequent companies that you founded were some of them with you from day one, maybe in your first or second business, and then they just you repeated starting multiple businesses with them as as you know the same co-founders type of thing, or did you kind of have like your a different team for every business like just moving forward?
1: Well, okay, so let me start with the first uh, in terms of ideas. If they were always with me, and you know the answer to that is no. Well, you know, I'll I'll give you the 640 Labs, what, you know, how that company came to be. I I worked at John Deere on their... it's this Green Star display. It's this, it's this display that is in every John Deere tractor. I worked on that. And then years later, Apple released this iPad. And I saw this iPad. And I looked at it. And I'm like, this is what the Green Star display should have been. And, you know, it's got all the memory in the world. Graphics are unbelievable. Kids are playing video games on them. You can read your email. You can read, um, you can watch a movie on it. It's got... Battery powered. It's got cellular. It's got Wi-Fi. It's got Bluetooth. It's got all these accessories. And i mean, this is the coolest thing in the world. And then I look at what I designed at Deer, and I'm like, this—this this would totally kill it. Uh, why? Why aren't they? Why is this being used in agriculture? And so I carried that idea around with me for a number of years in that, you know, you have this, this iPad. And so then you have to get data into this iPad. So I made this little device at the time it was called the 640 drive. Now it's called the FieldView drive. Most farmers, a lot of, far- most farmers know what that is. And we started a company based around that idea, myself and a friend. Every year we went snowbilling in in the upper peninsula of Michigan. You know, over some beers one night, we just decided that the two of us, that we're going to start a company. It's going to be a data analytics company and we're going to use an an iPad. (laughs) So that was 640 640 Labs. That was the birth of that company.
0: And I love it. That's awesome. And then does it get easier starting businesses after the first one?
1: I don't think it does. And I'm saying that because the first business I started was fairly, it was, you know, a class S corp. There wasn't much to it. I mean, for what, 50 bucks, you can start a company. And, you know, there's insurance and there's, you know, HR payroll and stuff like that. I think it's easier in the sense of, you know, I don't want to give a shout out, but like there's these Gusto, for example, that does all my payroll and HR and, and it's awesome. I don't have to do anything. And there's other companies out there as well. Now, you know, there's, there's just all these companies that do, you know, a lot of the core, you know, business or the, they, they provide these tools that that the business uses that you can just pick up and they're relatively inexpensive. And so I think it's easier in that aspect, but, but there are some, you know, you know I'm the company I'm at now, where I started now is the VC back company. so that just opens up uh, you know board of director meetings. and you know, and I have to put together all these uh, you know, look at my runway and and there's just there's a lot more complicated mm-hmm. aspects of the business. In terms of starting the business. I think it's gotten really easy. But the type of business I'm in now is is rather difficult.
0: Gotcha. And one more thing before we get to Savanto, you know, you also had the fortunate opportunity to not only have gone through one exit, but multiple exits. And I think for people who are unfamiliar with exits, I would love for you to, if you can, just maybe share just what some of those experiences were like. A lot of people in tech, I think the creme de la creme or, or the pinnacle of their career would be to join a company and go through an exit, right? Those that have gone through multiple exits in their career, I mean that's extremely rare uh, as an employee, let alone a founder. And so, for you to have gone through that, I would love to just hear your experience. And I know also exit means a lot of different things. It's not always necessarily a billion dollar payout that you always read about in you know business insider articles or TV shows and movies. So if you can share, yeah, we'd love to hear about your experience.
1: First of all, it's not like it was. It was not like it was ever planned. And in a couple couple of the times, it was just out of the blue. I, we got a call and. Hey, we've been talking about this. Would you be interested in in getting acquired or joining us? And we like what you're doing, you know. So it, it, it's not like I'll be honest with you. In my case, I wasn't looking out for it. It just happened. I, I was very fortunate in that aspect. The process was really uh, interesting in that, you know, the due diligence part of it. They wanted to make sure, you know, all the employees had, you know, is it's like going through a due diligence when you close a price run investment. You know, some of the things are really interesting what they do. One thing in particular that I found I I never thought of, but it makes perfect sense is before we got acquired, we had to go through a security audit. And what they did was they looked at every nook and cranny of our, you know, of our system and to make sure that nobody could could get in and you know basically hack or uh, they were looking at data security because So in, what, 2014, we were acquired. We were technically acquired by Monsanto. And evidently, I had no idea. The day they announced we acquired such and such a company, what hackers will do is they'll focus on that company because then, you know, because that is now a part of Monsanto. And Mm. if they could crack that company and technically they had, they had, uh, they had found a data breach at Monsanto. Mm, It's
0: like a backdoor
1: entry. Backdoor entry. Exactly. And, or just, they can say, yes, we hacked into Monsanto, but, you know, it was this little company and no, they, 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 they go through and they, they do a lot quite a lot of uh, security audits and whatnot I thought that was interesting was but, there ever
0: and, like a time it, in one of your exits Craig, that you didn't want to go through an exit were you maybe like conflicted you're like is this actually you know maybe I want to continue growing and not go through this exit or did it just make sense each time
1: it made sense each time it was I, I don't look back and and you know hey I wish you know hindsight's 2020 and I think I'm better off each time if, if I look at the career moves that I've made through throughout my life i don't have any regrets and uh it, it was a hell of a ride each one i took um so I, I i don't have any regrets whatsoever
0: well i wish we could have more time to really dig into all these other companies and these and this exit i mean you it just is so many you can have a podcast just about one of your companies alone but uh, the reason why we're here we'd love to kind of take a step forward and talk about your current company it seems like it just made a full circle for your life for someone that grew up on a farm and you're like, I hate it. And you went through electrical engineering, went through wireless, you went through all these companies and now you're working uh, and you founded a company back in the agricultural sector. Yep. How? What inspired you uh, to start your current company? And if you don't mind, again, just explaining what your current company does for the audience, that'd be great.
1: So let me start as to what Subanto is. We're taking autonomy into agriculture. We take off-the-shelf tractors and we add the electronics The controllers, the GPS receivers, the cellular modems, the power over ethernet, the safe perception systems and whatnot. We add those to standard off-the-shelf tractors. And then what we do is we deploy them in row crop agriculture that performs a field operation. The operation may be planting, disking, tillage, tine weeding, rotary hoeing, cultivating, mowing. We do various for field operations with autonomous tractors.
0: What do you mean by off the shelf tractors? What does that mean for someone not familiar with the industry?
1: If you go to your local equipment dealer, like a Kubota, for example, a Fent mm-hmm. tractor, for example, there are, and what I mean off the shelf is you can, you can, you can jump on the phone and go buy a Kubota tractor tomorrow. And, and so what we do is we use those types of tractors for a number Oh, wow.
0: Of so is one part of your business to just acquire a lot of these? Like you're, you're like downright purchasing them and then you're adding the tech to it and then you're absolutely. deploying them. So you're kind of doing yeah. that whole the vertical? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: What, ins- what inspired you to, to start Sabanto? What was um, the, the catalyst? When
1: 640 Labs got acquired by Monsanto, they put us underneath the Climate Corporation. And then I would work with a lot of farmers. And I got to get to know quite a lot of farmers that you know I, I knew agriculture, but it's it, you know, it, it had been what 20, 30 years since I've worked with actual farmers. And I got a lot of them are my friends and I got to understand just a little of the inner workings of the modern day farm. I mean the way these guys run their operations versus the way my father did back in the in the early 80s is night and day. And then I understood A couple things. Number one, labor is a problem for them. And it's not the cost of labor. It's just the lack of labor. These, you know, when I grew up, I I always tell people, I have 56 first cousins. I come from a very large extended family. Now families are much smaller opportunities are elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And there's not the local kid like I was, you know, who they could get to drive tractors, you know, disc a field, bale hay and whatnot. Those, those days are gone. Mm -hmm. And, it's just hard for these farmers to find these people and you know the answer obviously to you know to me at the time was god these guys need autonomy and and then when you're sitting and what's amazing is i don't think the general public knows this either but you know the rule of thumb in agriculture is it's thousand dollars per horsepower And you're sitting in a 500 horsepower tractor with the farmer, and all of a sudden, goes through my mind is, oh my God, this tractor cost a half a million dollars. And and so I looked at autonomy, not only in as, you know, this is a solution for reducing the the requirement for labor in agriculture, but I looked at it from the lens of we're going to run smaller tractors, longer hours, and the smaller tractors are going to be less capital. Mm,
0: less capital, and, more efficient, more and, sustainable.
1: Absolutely. And better for the soil as well, because some of these tractors are you know, how they're 40, 50,000 pounds. And, uh, you know, compaction in soil is, is a major problem that I think that someone needs to address as well. So I I, I went with the swarm uh, using smaller equipment, running it longer hours. And that's wow. what it- makes us different
0: yeah that totally makes sense and for someone who's unfamiliar just massive lack of knowledge when it comes to farming and how big is the farming industry in in the states and how many like how many on average or ballpark farmers or farms are out there like if you can give an audience an idea of scale that we're talking about
1: so in the united states there's 3.4 million farmers in the, in the United States for just, and we're looking at row crop agriculture, primarily soybeans and corn. There's about 176 million acres of corn and soybeans in the United States.
0: Is that... And- In a certain geographic location, is that mainly in the Midwest, for instance, in the States? In the
1: Midwest, primarily from from Texas to Minnesota. But that's not saying, you know, you're in California.
0: I'm in the East Coast in D.C. Oh,
1: okay. In D.C. D.C. and
0: New York originally.
1: Yeah. You know, believe it or not, there's quite a lot of farms um, in New York, in upstate New York, and in Maryland as well. Hmm. So it's, there, so there are farms over there as well. There's a
0: lot of vineyards out here, Craig. There's a lot of horse farms out there. There's a good a good amount of ranch. So naturally, I think there are good farms as well. It's it's a gorgeous area. Um, it,
1: is, it absolutely is.
0: Oh, that makes sense. So you're basically so your core business, essentially reaching out and developing relationships with these low crop farms. You said the, the soybean in the Midwest, and then I can imagine maybe you can gradually expand the scope in different types of farms. As your tech continues to improve, maybe or
1: absolutely. And you know what, what's interesting is a lot of times when you start a company, you go down this path and you really don't know where you're going to end up or, or or what other path it might take you down to. Mm-hmm. You know, we seem to be doing a lot of mowing as well for the, uh, for the Air Force, which is a field operation. I mean, farmers mow, uh, they do. And, you know, the, the Air Force looked at this, at what we were doing and took interest in that as well. So we're, we're also um, doing quite a lot of mowing for the, uh, the Air Force and Space Force.
0: What, what would you, like, what, when, when, when I hear mowing for the Air Force, where do they have the grass to be? Is it like around their headquarters? Is it, are are we talking like next to the, the runway. <laughs> Apologies As, for my ignorance, but...
1: No, they do like... Uh, <laughs> Where's the grass for
0: the Space Force? Force? Well, we're
1: mowing, we're mowing at, at some some of these uh, Air Force bases. Oh, I see. Like Scott Air Force Base has 500 acres of grass. Now, you know, I throw that term around loosely. It's not, it's not really grass. It's more like prairie grass. This isn't a lawn. It's more like a prairie or a... Or a all right almost like a
0: hay field where uh, we have to go out there and do that and you're mowing these with their automated modified small tractors mm-hmm. that's really cool how far along is is the tech how many tractors have you and a team automated or how many farms are you servicing i can't i can't really touch oh, on what, that. What, whatever you can share <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: You know, I can tell you that we have performed field operations in Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Missouri, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Texas, and soon to be Florida and California as well. Wow! So we're our footprint is increasing.
0: That's amazing. And then obviously your your end users are established existing farms today. What is the? How do you guys make money? Like, what do you? Is it a one time fee? Is it like that you charge a monthly? the type of thing to access your autonomous vehicles like how does that work?
1: Okay so there are certain I should say operations or entities or enterprises that where we work with them hand in hand and deploying autonomy into their into their system mm-hmm. and they view us as an extension of their workforce. And then there are things underway right now. What we're doing is we're offering an autonomous system that one can prov- you know, put on their tractor. Given a certain make and model, they can start performing
0: field operations autonomously as well. Oh, so that's, that's going to be more of like your C vertical. But then it seems like the former, you have relationships with these entities perhaps that own either just a lot of maybe farms or is that a lot of acreage to deploy your product is that how it works kind of like an outsourced uh, team that that you referenced earlier
1: uh in that case when we work with these enterprises we go in, we train them as to how to use it. oh i see see. forward we have we have a web-based mission control and so you can display and monitor and deploy systems uh, with your cell phone
0: that's yeah. really cool so obviously the product that you're building this tech has a significant software component right to it absolutely um, so for someone like yourself that's you know your background's not in software are you do, are you just essentially found someone to kind of be hands-on and you're just hands off as much as possible or how hands-on in that development process are you maybe perhaps you've reached a point in your you know your career where like oh I'm actually very interested in software and how it develops I can
1: tell you the stage of the company right now I hired I have 23 23- People um, amazing. The twenty-two people, twenty-three counting me. The twenty-two people that I have are, are very competent. They're very productive, and I will say, like my my entire software team, they know what they're doing. Uh, Ravi Induri is my CTO, and I've worked with him. He's been part of the equation since Six Forty Labs, so he's been around for six years. I, I I know him. He knows how to do the front end, back end. He's completely responsible for that, and he does a pretty damn good job.
0: So that that's his, very much his domain, and, and his yeah, domain.
1: I mean... <laughs> you know what? You know, and I don't meddle in it because. I know Ravi's got it handled. And that's the same as the equipment. For the longest time, you know, for, 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 let me see, we started in 2018. For the longest time, three and a half, four years, we were a, a peer a, a peer technology team mm-hmm. and equipment. You know, Corey Spadey is my equipment guy, and now he's VP of product. The guy knows how to deliver a product. He's a farm kid, ag engineer, Purdue University. He knows what he's doing. I guess it's, it's uh, I'm privileged in that I don't have to st- you know, lay in bed thinking about it because Corey, Ravi and uh, a lot of my engineers that I have are, uh... I know they're certainly capable of fixing any problem and it, it, it's it's a big relief for me.
0: I think for first time entrepreneurs, this is a genuine concern, if, especially if they have an idea that they deem worthy, that they want to pursue, but perhaps it's in, an, in a domain that they have no experience with, right? Either you you have yeah. a strong technical background and you can make the MVP or V1 yourself, or you have to find someone who is an expert in that domain and it seems like you've done a great job and really just being, finding the right people and putting them in the right position to enable them to push that company, push your company forward and and closer to the vision. You
1: know, if I, if I have to write software or build equipment, we probably failed at that point. And between Ravi, Corey, and and my other guys, uh, they can certainly handle that.
0: So do you have an office? Are you remote, hybrid? What are your thoughts about that?
1: Okay. We're headquartered in Chicago. We have a office in Ames, Iowa. Um, with a shop, so if you can imagine, so you're in DC, right? Okay, here's kind of sort of the problem I have. I'm downtown Chicago, not much different than DC when you get down to it, right? We're an ag company. I need both. Uh, I call them the propeller heads, the software guys who you know are doing all the you know the the uh, the tractor OS, the front end, the back end development, the, uh, all, all all the software, pure software. But I also Need these kids that come out of college, and they're more agriculture. They understand row crop agriculture. They understand corn. They own soybeans. They understand equipment. They're gonna they're gonna have to build this equipment, put all these actuators and controllers, and go out and do field testing and. The problem is, it's like you. If I say, um, Preston, you know, can I get you to move to Cherokee, Iowa, where I grew up? You know, I've, I've got an opportunity. There's no way you would go there. I, I guarantee it. There's no way you would go there.
0: If you were to toss in that good bottle of a red wine, Craig, I'm there. I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: well, most people I, would. I, I'm the anomaly. No, but I, I see your point. I see your point. <laughs> and,
1: and it's hard for me to get these these kids mm. to move to, I don't have to, you know, the first thing that goes through, you know, I, I'm not going to have to move to Chicago, am I? I'm like, uh, no. Okay, because I, I can't live in Chicago. It's just who they are. It just it, makes
0: sense. Like you're in the agricultural business. You need people that have that you know, experience and expertise, and you're not going to find that so much in Chicago, right? Or any urban city. No.
1: No, I'm not, but um, I do have, what's interesting too is a lot of my engineers, you know, we're at 640 Labs, came through and we're at the climate with me. And so it's kind of interesting, the software team that I have, they're all, they all know, they all know agriculture to a certain extent. I mean, they've never, you know, walked beans or or shelled corn or baled hay or anything like that. But they do understand agriculture in the sense of, you know, they can tell you what the typical population of a cornfield is uh, versus a bean field. Uh, what cultivation is headlands why headland why headlands exist and what do you, you know the the size of them they do understand grow crop agriculture
0: that would be key i i would i' would be the worst hire you'd ever make for that position right <laughs> if you were to reach out to me um, but your team of 23 including you i think that is quite i mean highly respectable i mean that's a, a solid number you've hit that critical mass is there anything about your company for people who are listening and they're like wow you know this actually resonates with me maybe I I might know someone who might want to work in agriculture, but uh, what what separates your, your company different in terms of like your culture? Do you guys do anything different, unique? What would the X factor be? I mean, I
1: think first and foremost, I think it's a fun company to work for. There's, there's a lot of camaraderie. If, if you've ever worked in agriculture, you soon adopt the, I guess, the culture of the ag industry. And the ag industry has some of the nicest people you will ever meet. And they're fun to be. Around too, they're funny. They, uh There's this rule of thumb too, and this is actually amazed. They tease each other all the time, and the rule of thumb is if you're not getting teased, then there's something wrong with you. And it it is, trust me, it's that way. And and these farmers, and they'll make fun of you, you know, publicly, and and you just gotta laugh at it. And they're not doing it because there's no malice there. They, God, is that you know, they'll they'll tease you about one thing or another. They'll find something, Mm -hmm. and then you know. got to laugh and then what you do is you you shovel it back to them and and uh you know the one thing i, I want everyone that comes to work here i want them to have fun you know I, I don't want it to be necessarily a job more like a lifestyle and the culture of the company is is built upon your first you know three four hires and I knew, you know, I made a list of five guys that I knew that could help me pull this off, and they were chosen not only because of their technical capabilities, but primarily it was their it was their their attitude, their you know their work ethic, and and they're fun to be around. And I knew that if I brought these guys in, then the company would would become that.
0: I I really vibe with that. You know, we we have a chance to work with a lot of different companies and founders, and I I really resonate uh that you you take the importance of intentionally hiring the right people from the get-go and it's it can either make or break the company hundred percent and i i love that just you know what you said just you you want people to have fun it's very easy just to think of work as just work and i love the fun aspect of it i love the fact that even in your industry you know people just love having fun and they tease each other i think that's great i think that can help really blow some of the pressure off especially for you as a founder you have a lot of things going through your mind that you're constantly juggling, and uh, now I can understand maybe half. If, if I were to ask you what what a day in the life of Craig, the founder of oh. looks like, it's probably half business, half you... being teased, and half teasing.
1: Well, <laughs> oh, I think you, yeah, I think oh. you broke up a little bit.
0: Oh, can you, can you hear me? Okay.
1: Yeah, I can though. Okay.
0: Now I was going to say, if I were to ask you what a day in the life of your, of being a founder of Savanto would be, I'd probably assume that your answer would be half business and half tease and being teased. And I think Uh,
1: absolutely the, yeah, the T the guys tease me relentlessly (laughs) and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it is. That's you pretty much hit the nail on the head, talk on the phone a lot. And yeah, they tease me about that. You know, it's just one thing after another, I guess.
0: But you know, I I think hiring in this market in 2022 is very difficult for a small company you know to scale to 20 is is very difficult to do especially in an industry like that right i mean you have to not only just find people who are good at what they are but they have to know a thing or two about the industry as well and i think you've done a great job i think uh not you know to to give a highlight to you in your career i think what Probably helped a lot is just your background, Craig. In our industry, you know, we always like to say if you're thinking about working at an early stage startup or tech company, one of the things that you need to pay attention to is just the background and the experience of the founder. And it's very easy to be like, oh wow, this guy is a first-time founder, went to a good school, or maybe he's a second-time founder. Oh my God, like that just makes me feel even better. I can sleep better at night. But you know, you've done this quite a long time and a lot of different sectors and businesses. I think that alone is a huge selling point for a lot of people. And so it probably played a huge role in helping you kind of scale the team where you are now. But of course, adding to that, like the product you're making, your mission in an industry like farming where it's a tough time to be a farmer, right? I would imagine, um, especially with technology increasing, development increasing, a lot of other macro pressures. Um, I think what you're doing is... is Fantastic, and it can just make people feel great showing up to work and building something that you're doing.
1: Absolutely, uh you know, and that's something that you know. With each passing day, I I realized that when I you know went out and fundraised and closed around round, I, I would ask the investors, "Why me or why us? What what made you? You know, you had you had hundreds and hundreds of choices, and you chose us. And I thank you, but wh- why why did you pick us? I, I'm just curious. And a lot of it was the team. It's something I, it's just something that I didn't, uh, I didn't really think about. I knew that, oh man, if I could get this guy and this guy and this guy to help me pull this off, then, you know, this, this would really help. And, you know, they decided to, like I said, quit their perfectly good paying job and come to work for me at our company. And, and then once they come in, then it's, it's, it was easier getting other people because, you know, there's safety in numbers.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Can I ask you? So, for someone who built multiple businesses before, a lot of the, some of them are even self-funded, right? Completely bootstrapped, which is awesome. How does it feel like as a now a seasoned founder to run a company that's venture backed? Does it does it add an extra element of stress? like that you've never experienced before or perhaps another level of complexity or even maybe fun because now you're you have things like boardrooms and investors and VCs that you have to deal with like or is it something that you just you know you weren't prepared for at all and just kind of got you by surprise like what has your experience been so far
1: you know i can tell you so, so this is the biggest uh, lie I think I was told, you know, for years and years and years, you would always hear these stories about, oh, you know, if you get a venture capitalist or a vulture capitalist, they're going to be god awful. The boards are, are terrible. It's, it's just going to be, they're going to make you jump through hoops. They're going to, they're going to, you won't believe just how bad it is when you go out and you take money from a, from a VC, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I believed it. And I can tell you that is the biggest bunch of BS I've ever heard. I actually adore my board. You know, at the end of the day, they want this to succeed. Right. And they are some of the most helpful people. They will answer the phone whenever I call them. If I have a question about such and such, I don't know this. They're happy to explain. I would go to board meetings, you know, the first. First board meeting, I was like, oh, my God, a little nervous and that, you know, how am I going to do? Am I going to do good enough? Blah, blah, blah. And then I soon realized that after every board meeting, I'm inv- invigorated. You know, I think I, I I wish I could have a board meeting every week because they really, really helped me. And I rely on, uh, on my board. You know, I, I have weekly calls with the chairperson of the board, uh, of my board, Daphne Prius, uh, call her out. Um she's absolutely remarkable. And she's got the this this legal, she's very disciplined. She's awesome. And that Kirsten Stead from Data Collective, she's just awesome too. She she's got that West Coast go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And then I have uh, now I have John Perriam out of Fulcrum out of Kansas City. And he is great as well. Very legal minded and you know he, he he's just very helpful so you know i wish this i wish every company i had had a board of directors
0: wow i mean that that is refreshingly honest and insightful and i i appreciate you sharing and it seemed like you just had best experience you could ask for when it comes to to VCs yes. and, and boards. And I think that that's amazing. And I'm really, really happy for you and the team. I think that's fantastic. So I yes. guess uh the outlook, just just moving forward, like what what do you think is the future of, of um of farming? I know as I kind of mentioned uh before, the farm farm just land in general is facing a lot of different threats. Obviously farming has their own industry specific threats. Like what 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 do you see is the future of farming in this country? And um do you think well, it's I, it's here to stay, or it's it's an existential crisis? Like, what are your what are your thoughts?
1: So I have a, a, a variety of thoughts. L- let me start with I think the biggest problem in agriculture today. What that is, there's over three. There's just. A, Just a little over 3 million farmers in the United States. One-third of them are over the age of 65. And farmers die with their boots on. You know, let's have an uncomfortable conversation. 12 years from now, CDC hasn't pegged at 77 years old. So 12 years from now, one-third of the farmers we know in the United States are going to be gone. And then what's scary is another... Third uh, of the uh, 3 million are between the ages of 55 and 65. So 22 years from now, two thirds of the farmers we know today are going to be gone. It's just not. An occupation that you could uh, that that the young can go into primarily be because it um, it's very very capital intensive and I always joke that um, every guidance counselor in the United States should or they say you can be anything you want in this world but a farmer I don't care what you're worth Preston but you you could not become a farmer it's just too capital intensive and so I don't know what the solution to that is but you know I I think that. You're going to start seeing pods, if you will, farms on the order of um, let's say 2,500 acre acres, and they're going to be completely optimized for capital and labor. And I could see I could see a world where there's one person who's responsible for 2,500 acres, and then they have smaller equipment, less costly, and completely optimized for that for that. Twenty five hundred
0: acres, and I can see how the the product and solution you're building right now can perhaps fit quite well within that scenario. So, yep. um, my my next question would be what's the future of Savanto? But I think I think you just answered it. <laughs> but but Craig, honestly, like I think this has been super insightful. I came into this conversation not knowing too much about farming, and I'm coming out still not knowing too much about farming, but now with an added layer of uh, insight thanks to you, and I really appreciate that. For for people that are listening, um, and you know, if they want to. Maybe they really resonate with you. They resonate with the podcast and your mission and maybe hope one day to apply. Like, what are some positions you think you might be hiring for in the future? And where can people, you know, find them and, and, and uh, apply to them?
1: Okay, you can go to, um, you can find us on Breezy. Uh, well, first of all, go to our website, sabantoag.com, S-A-B-A-N toag.com. We're hiring front-end and back-end developers. We're also hiring embedded software engineers and robotics engineers. And we're also hiring sales and marketing and project type managers as
0: well. Is there anything in someone's background that you like to look at or you maybe kind of get uh, surprised when you see it or maybe you just like to see it as kind of like a, a, you know, a brownie point?
1: You know what always impresses me is you'll get some software engineers that are like their motorheads you know they 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 work on let's say cars or they work on mm-hmm. motorcycles or they or they're interested in something that is uh, a bit i would say a risky you know r- like racing motorcycles or drag <laughs> drag racing cars you know they're always they're always kind of very interesting people and some ag experience as well helps but it's not necessary you know that, that's that's what I think would help as well. Yeah. So
0: uh, people have either ag experience or they're a passionate here. drag racer. To definitely fine print and star that on their cover letter and resume to you <laughs>
1: right but um, but no i mean you know or someone who's passionate about doing mm-hmm. something completely different you know we're not doing you know let's say you know high level marketing and just scraping databases looking for no this is i mean this is kind of some interesting things we're doing and you know we're also oh the other thing we're also used looking for uh you know data scientists people who can do some ai and machine learning and whatnot
0: nice so So I guess to to the audience that's listening, if you or you know anyone else, the data science, ag, software engineering, really any space or someone that wants to be part of a, an organization like Sivanto that is really having just kind of very strong mission and that positive impact um, in an industry that's facing real, real issues. I I please obviously reach out to Craig and his team. I'm sure they would be more than accommodating. And if people wanted to reach out to you directly, where can they find you? If they have any questions or perhaps they want to reach out for advice, like where can they find you specifically? Uh,
1: they can email me at uh,
0: Ruppinator, R-U-P-P-I-N-A-T OR
1: at sabantoag.com.
0: Well Craig I definitely appreciate your time so far we're slowly coming up to the end which is unfortunate because I'm very much in, enjoying this conversation and I know that there's so many other things that we can talk about but one thing that I like to ask before we end is for people who are listening they want to one day follow your footsteps maybe starting their own company starting multiple companies or working building a product that's you know mission oriented and having great impact like what is what would be one advice that you would wanna give to the audience from your experience so far?
1: You know, there's a lot of people that you have worked with throughout your career. As long as it may have been, you know, maybe you're five years out of college, but there there are a lot of people out there that are just willing to help in any, anything you want to do. And just remember that if you need, if you need any help, there's plenty of people out there that are more than willing to help in any endeavor and leverage all your people in your network. You know, don't be afraid to call them. They're more than happy to help you. Give you
0: I love that. And thank you for sharing that. I think it's very easy, even if you're like just a professional or especially a founder to feel alone and you have to figure it out by yourself. And if you reach out, no one's going to respond back to you. But I think this, you know, this human positive, warm feedback, like people are, you can find, you can always find someone willing to help you give you a hand, I think is one that people should be aware of and should talk about more, especially in the industry. So I really want to thank you for that.
1: Yeah. I don't know of anyone, just to add to that. I don't know. Of, of anyone, if, if you add, if I, if I called you and said, Preston, I need some advice and I guarantee wh- what do you need advice on? I'm here to help you. I'll say,
0: Craig, I got your back whatever you need. <laughs> you. Don't
1: don't don't be afraid to use your network.
0: I love it. But um, no, th- thank you so much again. I mean, just in this short amount of time frame, we went over a lot of different topics and it was truly uh, quite an experience for myself to talk to someone like yourself that had really an amazing career, Craig. From starting out into a farm to kicking off in electrical engineering and pivoting to signal processing and wireless to starting God knows how many successful companies with how many different exits to now running Savanto which obviously, is building a solution to a real issue that the country and a lot of our massive industry and agriculture is going through. I really want to thank your time and just appreciate your transparency and honesty and giving people a glimpse of what life is like day-to-day, what your mindset, what goes through your mind as a founder of this company and multiple before. So I'm honestly very excited to see your tech continue to evolve and have more impact. I'm excited to see your team continue to scale and continue to not only work hard, but to have a lot of fun, which I know is a very important value to you. And we will certainly keep in touch. And there's any way we can help out, we'd, we'd be happy to. And I think it's very inspirational. And just want to thank you again and, and wishing you and the team nothing but tremendous success. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Craig. And we will certainly keep in touch.
1: Yep. And thank you for having
0: me on this podcast. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe for other great stories that are coming up. If you need any help with hiring, know of anyone who's looking for a job or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at www.kickstartfinder.com. Really, really appreciate it and we'll see you on the next one.